Welcome back to Wavecast, the official podcast of the Marine Institute of Memorial University. I'm your host, Eugenie, and I am so thrilled to be back after the holidays. And we are kicking off this second season of the podcast with a very special anniversary episode. Today, we're taking a special dive into the past, present, and future of the Marine Institute as we mark its 60th anniversary. On January 15, 1964, the predecessor of the Fisheries and Marine Institute held its official opening at Memorial's former Parade Street campus in St. John's, Newfoundland. The Marine Institute became a college dedicated to serving the educational needs of the fishing and marine transportation industries. In the beginning, the college developed pivotal programs, notably the Diplomas of Technology and Nautical Science, Marine Engineering and Naval Architecture, and short courses in watchkeeping, navigation, and engine repair and maintenance. The Marine Institute today stands as a beacon of excellence in oceans and marine education, offering over 30 diverse programs from technical certificates to doctoral degrees. Our first guest is a past employee, Margot Hanlon. This is very exciting to have Margot on the podcast today because she began working with the Marine Institute, then known as the College of Fisheries, in 1979 when she was only 20 years old. So join me in welcoming Margot Hanlon to the podcast. I started off in the electrical electronics department, working with the head of school, Dr. Doug Squires at the time, which I did for a couple of years. And then I moved on to secretary of the controller and then on to the director of finance. And during that time, we were starting to make the move. Dr. Barrett was the president at the time, and we were given the okay to go ahead with a new building which we were moving into in 1985. So the last two years, 1984, moving on, I worked with Doug Doug Chubbs, who was director of finance, and moved up here to the new building with him. And after that, they started the flume tank, and they hired a new vice president or associate vice president, who I worked for at that time, and my office is over in the flume tank. And after that job, that position moved into, I was the quality administrator for the ISO 9001 registration for the Institute and helped initiate it and get the reg- the Institute registered to ISO 9001, which I worked with Eugene Lai at that time. And so after he left, then the position became mine and I retired in 2015 as the quality manager of the Institute. Wow. Okay. So you've done just about everything. So um, a lot of changes. We saw a lot of changes. Can you talk a little bit about what the Marine Institute was like in those very early days before you made the transition to the new building? Uh, well, when I started, uh, the old College of Fisheries on Parade Street had like the main campus, which used to be the old university. However, part of that was a U.S. old building, which is, was part of the USA time when they were in Newfoundland. So it was a big building. It had a cafeteria, had like a ballroom where they used to have big socials. So there was a big like auditorium, which they used to, there was a gym, but they also had this auditorium with a stage where they used to have, I guess, events when the U.S. owned it. Mm -hmm. So they, the College of Fisheries took that over. And in that building, there was the, uh, the Department of Electrical Electronics with all those classrooms and labs, as well, naval architecture was upstairs. Mm-hmm. So over in that building, that's what happened. Then there were a lot of 
shops, marine engineering shops. And in the main building was all the administrative areas, like the library and the gymnasium, the School of Nautical Science, uh, bookstore, all the mm -hmm. administrative stuff. Mm -hmm. So as well, back in the day, they... If you read the stories, a lot of the students that were coming to the institute at the time or to the college didn't have the academic requirements. So we had a, a section, it was called the BTSD, Basic Training for Skill Development. So if they didn't have the criteria, we would train them there until they could mm -hmm. get in to the programs. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like uh, at that time there was marine engineering, nautical science, um, what was another one you Naval mentioned? Naval architecture. Naval architecture. And electrical electronics. Okay. So were those the main departments that you had, and then it sort of expanded into what it is today? D yes. And along with that, like there was, on the south side, there was a fish plant. So mm. we did like fish processing, teaching people how to do those. Like, the, you know, like there was a whole full-on plant mm -hmm. over on the south side where they used to do some of the fishery stuff. Mm -hmm. So do you, okay, so one of the things, like the demographic of people that were at the Marine Institute, like I'm just thinking the students at that time, were they mostly people from Newfoundland or were we already starting to see some international students coming or other places in Canada? At the beginning, there were a lot of students uh, that did come internationally. I don't know how they got there, like Sam Azizan, mm -hmm. who's a faculty member here, I think he might be retired, and Zaki down in CMS. All of them were original students back in the day from the old College of Fisheries. Mm -hmm. When I started, there mostly were mostly people from outside of St. John's. And they got paid to go to school back in the oh, day. Oh, wow. We got $50 every two weeks. And you would get your $50 if you had 100% attendance. So that was my job in the school that I was in to make sure that the students had their attendance done. So on Friday, every second Friday, it could be a little bit of a dispute if they didn't get their full check. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, they were mostly like the electrical electronics department was the largest. And I know people that graduated back in the day that had very, very high-powered uh, positions. What was the need then to have the new building? Like, do you remember what the reason is that they sort of morphed into this bigger? We more or less grew out of the space, and they wanted to move into more fisheries development. The fish plant on the south side no longer, you know, was meeting the needs of the students that we were getting in. Enrollment, the labs and the, uh, the electronics labs are old. And I think it may be something that they, were they tore down the USO building. Mm -hmm. after we moved out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was, a, I guess, a need to grow the, the college. It had to have a bigger spot. And this was also before the Reen Institute was associated with Memorial University. Oh, God, way. Yeah. yeah In 1985, we, joined, we, were, we moved here. I think it was in 1992 or maybe later when we joined with Mon. But mm -hmm. before that, mm -hmm. we had the wet-dry wet split. The with, wet, what is the... They call, we called it the wet-dry split. And that's when the College of Trades took over all the dry courses, mm -hmm. and we kept the wet ones. What are the, like, the, the fisheries courses? We kept the fisheries, oh, okay. and nautical, cool. marine engineering, marine cooking. Marine and cooking. We had, you oh. all, we had marine cooking oh, yeah. back in the day. And uh, so they took all the electrical electronics courses. So we lost 
most of our enrollment at that time because they were the biggest intake of students. Mm-hmm. And then we we kept we kept everything else. We kept the wet. And then when did the, because then now the Marine Institute is both wet and dry. To, so, yes, to, to a certain, a certain extent. extent. Yeah. I think the purpose is still ocean fisheries science. Mm-hmm. You know, the electrical electronic stuff are built into most of those programs now, but, you know, those, they're totally mostly over at the college. So did you say you started when you were 20 years old? Yes. Wow. Okay. So, and then you retired in 2015. Uh, so yep. you really grew up with the Marine Institute. Oh, it's our family. Yeah. Like when I started, there was sort of a new wave coming in of, of uh, you know, administrative staff. Mm-hmm. So we all started about this, you know, there was some of them that were just getting ready to leave and then new young ones were coming in. You know, we were 18, 19, 20. Mm-hmm. The students were 18, 19, 20. Mm-hmm. Male dominated. I don't think I'm, any of us married a graduate though. <laughs> N- married a graduate <laughs> or a student oh, <laughs> back in the day, okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it was it was intimidating mm-hmm. to work in that environment. Actually, as a young young woman or a young mm-hmm. girl at that time, mm-hmm. and at that point, you would have been uh, like right out of right out like of high school. school. Right out of I came from Labrador. I went to the college trades and got the job there a year after I graduated. Wow. Okay. And you've never, so you are the Marine Institute through and through then? 100%. Wow. 100%. No regrets. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. And you said you're still coming back to use the gym to play pickleball and all sorts of things. Yeah. After I retired, I was up to Rose's doing her workouts four days a week. Mm -hmm. I was lucky enough that I did a certificate in business administration through here. I got a postgraduate certificate in quality management. My -hmm. husband graduated from the refrigeration program here Mm -hmm. in 1980. Oh, so you did marry a student. Well, yeah, but we were together before that. Okay. (laughs) And my son graduated from Marine Diesel in 2009. Wow. So we're alumni as well. I'm an alumni as well as a uh, employee and retiree. Mm Mm-hmm. Is there something in your time that you remember, like a highlight? Was there like the 30th anniversary or was there, did you have a really big snowstorm one day or was there some kind of like memory that you look back of like fondly or something that really stands out? I think one of the 25th anniversary was one of the major uh, events that I remember of the co- of the college, and they, you know, we had the Holiday Inn, and it was like gowns, and it was, you know, gowns. always it was very formal wow. event at the Holiday Inn, and uh, mm. that really sets out in my mind. Graduation was always a major event. Mm-hmm. Back in the old college, they decorated the USO building up. The cafeteria was lined off with all kinds of food, mm-hmm. and everybody went. Everybody went, staff, faculty, students. It was like just a super event. And I would imagine that the graduates at that time, there wouldn't have been that many. It was not a lot. And I think most of them, all of them probably had positions to go to when Mm -hmm. they graduated. So I'm in the fisheries department, the fisheries side. I'm in the Center for Fisheries, like in CIFR, Center for Fisheries Ecosystems Research. (laughs) Yeah, with Tom and Kevin. And... um, just like talking with different people around the school, it seems like the Marine Institute was like there was a need that the school itself was expanding, but it also seemed like maybe there were these sort of these outside pressures or incentives by 
like other people in Newfoundland or like industry members in Newfoundland to answer some of the questions around the island. In the Seifer lab downstairs, we used to have these boxes of all these cod otoliths, which are like the ear bones of cod. And uh, I think it was all tied to the cod collapse at that time. And so for me, one of the things like with the Marine Institute is it was here and it was around when there were these big events like the cod collapse. The moratorium. Yeah. So when I think about all of the history that's built within the building, I imagine like all of these, the aquaculture department was built out of a necessity to answer some questions about how we can best use these practices. Uh, Like the fisheries was how do we manage these stocks effectively? How do we use science? And so the flume tank, the flume tank, same thing. Yeah. So I guess, and you would have seen all of that firsthand. Every bit of it. When we moved up here, the flume tank was, I think, one of the first places, first new add-ons, the aquaculture facility, Mm -hmm. uh, CMS. Like, that is all brand new. Well, to me. (laughs) (laughs) And now, I mean, not even going to talk about the fire school that used to be down in Torbay. The fire school? There used to be, our fire school, when we started, was down in Torbay, the old Torbay airport. Then that turned into Foxtrap. And then we added on Stephenville. And then the Southside was where we did all our med training. And then that moved out to Holyrood. Like, it's just grown and grown and grown from mm-hmm. and now I look at it diploma and certificate programs now we're doing PhDs masters mm-hmm. you know the research centers there was none of that mm-hmm. and yeah. that all came about when we joined with them on mm-hmm. when you look at it you see like I see the students that graduated with a diploma in nautical science or naval architecture and now they have a bachelor's they're doing mm-hmm. their masters so they wouldn't have wouldn't have been able to excel at that if that never happened. Mm-hmm. You know, at the day we were saying, oh, my God, what's going to happen to us? Mm-hmm. But now I look at it and I say, look what happened and look what ha- what is happening. Mm-hmm. You put out the TV, there's always the lunch is in the news every mm-hmm. day. You know, Stephenville is out there doing amazing things. So it, you know, back it might have looked like a threat to us old crowd, mm-hmm. but it hasn't turned out to be a threat. Well, I think in doing that, uh, it's definitely expanded to something quite tremendous. And now there's even more like international students here. There's a lot more opportunities for people to be involved with the Marine Institute. Yeah, I've always been really impressed too with when people come out of these programs, like in the ocean mapping program, for example, or the ROV program, they often get jobs. Like Sarah Walsh, I mean, she's yeah. amazing. She was on the podcast, actually. Was well. she? Yeah. yeah she sat right I remember there. when she started and like, I just look at her and I say, my God. Mm-hmm. Look at you now. Back in the old College of Fisheries, we used to have an instructor come in, and we used to do aerobics in the USO building. Oh. So we've been doing, this is nothing new to do fitness, because mm-hmm. we've been doing it forever. Mm-hmm. When I, when we moved up here, we used to do aerobics in one of the electrical electronics lab. Okay. So there was four or five of us that used to do that. Then two of us went and did, this was before Rose, uh, two of us did our fitness leadership program. So we taught aerobics, step aerobics, stability ball, down in the rigging room. Oh. <laughs> Susan Fudge yeah. was part of it. Okay. Right? We did, did that for I don't know how many years until Rose really got on the go. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we played volleyball, intramural volleyball uh, during you know, lunch breaks. We mm-hmm. had softball tournaments on the weekends. We had golf tournaments. We went skating. We, you name it, we did it. Mm-hmm. And it was all like lunch hour. We walk up to Pippi Park and have lunch. Mm-hmm. 
back in the day when we used to have an hour and a half. <laughs> Did that that change now? Yeah, what, what, but, was, what was it at the end? Thirty minutes? An hour? Uh, no, it is an hour. Okay. but that's all like, union contract. You right? Back in the yeah, old yeah. college fishers, you had an hour and a half, so you'd go down to buy your groceries because next to the old college was the Dominion store, hmm. and then we'd walk down downtown, which was only like a fifteen minute walk and walk back. Mm-hmm. So you do your shopping while on your lunch break. <laughs> not very much up around here. No, there's not a ton of things. <laughs> no, I might, like I said, one of my major things that I am proud of and I was part of was getting the Institute registered ISO 9001. Mm. And they still continue to do it. I don't know if it's going to be long term, but like I said, I, that was one of the projects that I worked on that I was really proud of. Mm-hmm. And that my student, my son is a graduate and is uh, very gainfully employed with the Canadian Coast Guard. Ah, cool. And my husband has worked at refrigeration, or that's got him a job for 42 years as a wow. graduate from here. So we're very fortunate. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for joining the podcast. This was so interesting, and I love the, the step through like memory lane. It's awesome. Good. And it was thank great you. to meet you. You too. Thanks. In 1992, the Marine Institute became a part of Memorial University, broadening its academic offerings to encompass undergraduate and graduate degrees in fisheries, maritime studies, and ocean technology. To talk about the present day of the Marine Institute, we are joined by Rachel Forbes, who is a master's student studying fisheries science and technology. Okay, so Rachel, I wanted to have you on the podcast because the other day we were talking about some of your really cool research that you do in the Arctic, and I thought it would be a really good addition to this week's episode, which is about how the Marine Institute is sort of tackling these big issues out in the world today. Um, So can you tell me a little bit about your research and specifically about some of the work that you did in Arctic Bay this year? Yeah, of course. So I am currently studying Greenland sharks in the Arctic under the supervision of Dr. Jonathan Fisher and Seaver. And I am using baited remote video cameras Mm. where we put down these big frames to the bottom of the ocean with these HD cameras and uh, bright white lights and lasers. And we attach squid as bait to to attract predators, hopefully Greenland sharks, Mm -hmm. to the camera. And so these cameras run for uh, around seven to eight hours straight down at the bottom of the ocean. And then we retrieve the cameras and the footage that it holds. Mm -hmm. And um, the idea is with these cameras, you can study these organisms at the bottom of the ocean without having to destroy anything. It's very low impact, it's non-invasive, and we can just observe these species um, naturally, as naturally as possible. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm doing specifically for my project is I'm trying to estimate uh, local abundances of Greenland sharks in several areas in the Arctic. And so with this, I get to actually go up to the Arctic, which is so cool, Mm -hmm. and uh, do a bunch of field work up there, which is my favorite part to get that hands-on experience. And Mm -hmm. the Marine Institute is, um, is wonderful in giving these opportunities to these students so that we can get out there get that hands-on experience, make a lot of connections with people in the industry, uh, with Indigenous folks and locals up there and and other researchers, and, and it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that really interests me in your project is you have these deep-sea species that people often wouldn't get to see because they're living at these deep depths. Um, but of course, like when you were doing your field work and you're working with these indigenous communities, they seem to be very interested and excited about what you're bringing up. So do you do these people see, do they rely on Greenland sharks for anything? Do the Inuit um, use them for hunting purposes? Or what is the like cultural significance of Greenland sharks? 
Well, to be honest, green sharks are a bit of a, a nuisance for them because mm. you can't eat them. They're toxic unless you do this fancy curating process. Is it parasites? Uh, no, it's just that their skin, they have a lot of toxins in them. So you can't eat them unless they oh, cure upside down that. for like a, a year. <laughs> it's oh, like what wow. they do in Iceland. They have to cure it for a long time. But the Inuit don't do that here in Canada. Um, instead, they, they don't try to fish for them at all. The problem is, is that they're often caught as bycatch in fisheries. So my project is focusing on trying to understand how many are out there and where they're located so we get a better understanding of how we can limit these bycatch numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the people in the community specifically, what I was doing up in Arctic Bay wasn't just focused on Greenland sharks. The research I was doing in Arctic Bay was um, in partnership with the Arctic Fishery Alliance, and we were doing a variety of different survey methods. So we were using the baited video cameras, as I mentioned, um, but we were also doing longline fishing. And we're doing uh, whelk pot fishing and shrimp trap fishing, and as well as plankton nets and different oceanographic um, data sampling as well. So Mm -hmm. it's a lot of just watching a bunch of videos and identifying the species we see, Mm -hmm. uh, as well as um, measuring the length of the fish. And you can measure the speed of their swimming speeds as they're coming into the footage, Mm -hmm. um, because we have two lasers um, in the camera. And then with those lasers, I can actually measure the fish. And once I measure the fish, I can also estimate their age depending on what species we're looking at. Mm-hmm. And the work that you did in Arctic Bay, uh, how long was that? How long were you there for? So I was there for a total of two weeks, uh, 10 days on the water, um, and then got about five days in the community itself. Mm-hmm. So we got to meet a lot of the locals and have meetings with the Hunting and Trappers Association there mm-hmm. to learn uh, where they would like us to focus in the survey, where they'd like us to to explore, to see what species are there. And that was great intel because they'd tell us, oh, there's a lot of walrus in this region, mm-hmm. or there's a lot of eider ducks, so we think it's a very productive area. So mm-hmm. we'd go out there and see if, uh, if it is a productive area. So what you're also learning is... The uh, is like collaboration, which sounds it's a really big skill that comes out, I think, of this project for you. Oh, it really is. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's one of the things, the biggest takeaway from this project for me. It's not even the, the scientific aspect, but the collaborating between Indigenous folks and academia and within the industry. So mm-hmm. on the, the boat that I was on, the Kiviak 2, we had a total of 10 of us. Two researchers, including myself, um, two Inuit locals from Arctic Bay, and then uh, was it six fishermen from Newfoundland and Labrador that worked with AFA, Arctic Fishery Alliance, and they would be on the boat all the time doing longline um, work, but also these research surveys. Mm-hmm. Is there anyone else in the Arctic currently that's doing similar work that you're doing? I know whether that's with uh, the baited cameras to look at Greenland sharks, or whether that's to use baited cameras to look at biodiversity. Or are you the first one doing this? So I'm not the first one. Um, my supervisor, John, uh, he had a student back in 2015, 16, around then, named Dr. Bryn Devine. And she actually started this project with the baited camera and focusing on Greenland sharks mm-hmm. and other benthic uh, species. So my project is a continuation of hers. And what I'm doing um, is using her data, but also data from a lot more areas so I can mm-hmm. estimate Greenland shark abundance in different locations. And that's just here at the Marine Institute, but there's also a bunch of other universities and pr- uh, groups that are using beta cameras now. It's becoming more of a hot topic in recent mm-hmm. years, uh, these video analyzing and trying to study animals with the video data rather than fishing them up from the ocean. Do you think that this is something that you will do in the future? Are you going to stick with this project after your master's or where do you see yourself going with this afterwards? That's a good question. <laughs> That's a terrible question. <laughs> it's like that time in my life where I'm like, what am I doing again? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I'm not to totally sure, but it definitely opens up a lot of doors for me. So I never saw myself doing Arctic work, to be honest. I always thought I would go down to do tropical work because well, that's what you see in TV when mm -hmm. you want to study sharks as a kid. You're like, oh, it's always like tropical species you see on TV and all that. So I just in my head, I thought that was the only uh, way to go. But then this opportunity came up and I was like, well, I never saw myself going to that direction. I'm studying the opposite direction, right? <laughs> going up mm -hmm. north. And it's been phenomenal experience. And I couldn't imagine this is where I'd be at this point in my life. So in terms of future work, um, I definitely like this camera work. It's, it's very new to me. And I think that there's a lot to develop from it and that it's going to be like this new big focus in, in future years, just because it's so uh, non-impactful and non-invasive to these species. So it's great for studying protected areas. Can you tell me a little bit about your background and, and what led you to the Marine Institute in the first place? Yeah. Um, so I've always wanted to study sharks. So I looked at a bunch of different researchers across Canada and the world to see uh, what professors are taking in students. And I came across a paper about Greenland shark local abundance estimates um, by D Dr. Bryn Devine, which is Jonathan Fisher's old PhD student. And uh, that was the only work John's done in the past about Greenland sharks. But I thought, oh, this is a great opportunity to get in into that research again, even though he didn't have um, an advertisement out there about the specific project. I just reached out to John and said, hey, mm -hmm. <laughs> I explained who I am, what I'm interested in, and if he'd be willing to take on another student to focus on Greenland sharks. And, and he took me in. So yeah, that was my main thing. But mm -hmm. to be honest, I've always had an interest of the Marine Institute and Memorial University. Um, I almost came here for my undergraduate degree just because there's a lot of marine research here. So I thought that would be a good way to get into this field. But I ended up going to the University of New Brunswick, um, where I'm from. And, uh, and I'm happy I get to be here now because mm -hmm. it's kind of all worked out. <laughs> mm -hmm comes full circle. That's right. Yeah, I'm very thankful for the program here at the Marine Institute. So I take four classes throughout the two years and as well as just focus on my thesis. And through this experience, I get a lot of field work as well. And that's just great. I know a lot of other students here get to do a bunch of field work and hands-on experience. And, and that was the the biggest thing for me out of my master's degree was to get that hands-on experience and make these mm -hmm. connections. So I'm very thankful for the Marine Institute for that reason and, and for my supervisor just for giving me that opportunity. What I like about the Marine Institute is that it takes students from all around the world. And um, it's, it's so interesting just that the grad program, uh, most students are actually not from Newfoundland, most are from across Canada or even the world. And we get a lot of students coming in just for a few weeks for internships um, or for short periods of their PhD or master's programs from mm -hmm. other parts. And I think that's really neat because I've, I've met so many people from different places and mm -hmm. got to learn about all the different types of research going on here. There's, there's such a variety of research here. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. And yeah, I think that just goes to show how, how wonderful the, the Institute is. Okay. Well, Rachel, those were all of my questions. This was so awesome to actually sit down and record one of our conversations together. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks, Eugenie. And thanks to the listeners. And yeah, thanks for having me. It's no surprise that the Marine Institute has changed greatly since 1964 as it has embraced the advancements of marine technology and education and has become a global leader in marine research. Lastly, we are joined with Dr. Paul Brett, the Vice President of Memorial University for the Fisheries and Marine Institute, to talk about what we can expect for the next 60 years of the Marine Institute.
Paul, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. It's really exciting to have you on, and I'm really excited to get to talk to you about all sorts of things that you're working on. Um, my first question is, how did you come to work at the Marine Institute? Because I know this wasn't your first role here. You've had a couple other ones. So how did you end up here? Great question. I came here to teach 23 years ago, teaching in the world of geospatial science and uh, in the School of Fisheries. So a few of the programs have had requirements to understand geospatial patterns. And uh, so we had those training programs and that was my role. I moved from from the instructor role and we can figure out where this comes, how whatever mm -hmm. you put in there. I um, When the School of Ocean Technology was created in 2008, the geomatics world and the technology parts of that moved with that school. Mm -hmm. So I moved to that school as part of the expansion of the organization and began, I guess my, my role in administration was there. Uh, I was program coordinator there, still teaching, and then moved from there into the assistant head and head of School of Ocean Technology. So building mm, programming okay. and um, before I moved to be the associate vice president of research and strategic partnerships. So can you tell me a little bit about your role at the Marine Institute now, like more in depth of what you do on a day-to-day -day basis? Yes. Yeah, so my role is, as, as the leader of the campus, is really outward-facing, uh, more than inward-facing. So it's really to provide, of course, leadership to the organization, but to talk about in, in, in the community what our capabilities are and what the possibilities are. How does the Marine Institute, what does it do for the next 60 years? Mm -hmm. What direction are we taking? As you would know, we have a strong connection with industry. And so meeting with our industry partners, meeting with our uh, academic partners on St. John's campus and Grenfell campus and other academic partners around the world is a big part of what my nine to five looks like. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I, I don't think I would have thought about rules being inward and outward, but it is true. There's a lot more people that we don't see as often because they have these more of like outside roles and they're meeting with more industry partners and they're getting the word out there. Yep. So are there some projects that are in the works for the coming years that you're particularly excited about that you think really reflect where the Marine Institute is going for the next six years? Daily. I see and hear about the things happening at this organization that excite me from projects of lanternfish mm -hmm. to uh, more global projects that um, involve bigger groups of people. So individual students work is as important as a class of 50. Uh, a couple of what I think are very future looking for the organization. Just yesterday, we announced a, announced a new project uh, in partnership with the Nippon Foundation and Hakai Institute in Dalhousie mm. in a uh, uh, center of excellence in operational oceanography, where we, we will attract uh, eight international students to study very, very specific experiential learning type projects to understand what it means to observe our ocean and collect that mm. data and deal with that data. That kind of work celebrates our excellence in really hands-on academics that have true experiential learning parts to those programs. So that excites mm -hmm. me. It excites me that we are attracting students from all over the world mm -hmm. to uh, this little institution based on our, our, uh, our collective history and our collective experience. Mm -hmm. so that's, that's an example of one program. Uh, the work that we do in 
studying not only the physical aspects of the ocean, but the biological aspects of, of the ocean and the work of the Center for Ecosystem Research is transformational for this institution. Um, we are global leaders. Mm -hmm. Our vision, Vision 2041, is to lead Newfoundland and Labrador to the world in ocean excellence and ocean education. And we're doing that. And that excites me that I'm part of that, had been a little part of building some of that programming, but the Institute is built on not just the work of me or you, it's built on all the people mm -hmm. that are at this organization who take great pride in the work we do. And uh, it makes a special place to work mm -hmm. and study. Like, I love that aspect of being here. And it is true that everybody has, it's almost like little pieces of the puzzle that kind of all fit together to create the Marine Institute. Mm -hmm. Um, even within the Center for Fisheries Ecosystems Research, there's so many different kinds of research that come out of there as well. And I know also um, in CESAR, now I forget the Center for... Sustainable Cesar. Aquatic Resources. There you go. I know for CESAR, like they have very important roles to play in industry as well. It's kind of like your one-stop shop for everything you could possibly need that's ocean related. And, that, and that's, I guess, a great way to characterize us is... If you have a question about the ocean and the ocean industry, we pride ourselves not on necessarily knowing the answers, mm -hmm. but to be able to bring together the people to help solve some of those problems and help at least start to ask the right questions. So how do we as an organization be that nexus point between industry, academia, to start asking some of those questions and providing solutions? Mm -hmm. Do you see any more like expansions maybe across the province or even in this building, I know things are, I mean, when, when I was talking with Margot initially, she was there when this was a new building and now it's seen, it's seen, you know, some decades since, yep. but do you expect any sort of expansion here in Newfoundland or is it mostly just that outward global and national expansion? Uh, that's a great, great question. Uh, the building is 1985, so it was new and when Margot talked to, mm -hmm. to you about it and and actually, I visited this building in 1986 when I visited St. John's when I was in grade 11 and looking at post-secondary institutions. Uh, never knew I would be here uh, 10 mm -hmm. years later, but uh, um, 20 years later. So we have been very active about, just go back to talk about expansion. We've been er very active in sending our expertise around the province, around the country, and around the world. Mm -hmm. Um Seabed, the Center for Community-Based Education and Training, is an example of such. So we identify, work with our partners, be it the industry partners, community partners, to determine if there's educational need, might be a research need. But on the educational side, we send our faculties to the communities. Mm -hmm. And that model works very well for us. We've worked throughout Canada's north in that model, throughout Newfoundland Labrador in that model, and now throughout Canada on that model. So that expansion is happening and it's growing and it uh, helps us um, fulfill the mandate of what the institution is is here to do. And that's one of the key pieces is, is our commitment to Newfoundland Labrador. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the building, I've been here for 23 years and we've been out of space for 23 <laughs> years. Um, so we continue to innovate when it comes to space and what we've done out in Holyrood lately with our, our new uh, facility launch has given us new on-the-water capacity uh, for the organization that provides students, uh, researchers, and faculty access to, to, to the ocean. And, of course, our work 
on research vessels is expanding. Every day I hear of another student and other researchers on another vessel in another part of the world doing some fascinating research. So mm-hmm. yeah, we're growing mm-hmm. and we're expanding. What do you think is the future of students that come out of the Marine Institute? What kind of careers do you think they can expect? Like what is the future of, of these students in the world? One of the things a technical institute like ours prides itself on is providing students with technical competencies, which they can use to their advantage in searching for careers. An example I would give is an ROV operator. And we've been training ROV operators here since 2006. And uh, in the early days of ROV operation technician training, the majority of them went to oil and gas. That was the target industry that graduates went to. But they would take those skill sets, which are electromechanical um, marine skills, and apply them in other industries. The wind energy area was one of the first places that people found themselves using their skills to further their careers. The aquaculture industry, anywhere you needed a camera underwater is where they found themselves using those technical skills to find career opportunities. Mm -hmm. Preparing students with technical competencies is part A. Part B is preparing students to promote their use of their technical competencies in finding meaningful career opportunities Mm -hmm. as part B. And I think we can do that with our students and working Mm -hmm. with those students so that they can find the right career path. Mm -hmm. We are entering a time when the need for talent globally will be something we had not seen in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. Uh, So many people retiring, so so many new opportunities, uh, so many different career paths. So how do we how, how do we navigate that? How do we mm-hmm. prepare students to navigate that? Mm-hmm. My last question is you come from this geomatics side of the world, but I'm just wondering if sometimes you miss that side of things. Every day. Administration is a part of everybody has, every university has to have administration. And um, 35 years ago, as a student, determining what my path was going to be was probably not that different than students today. I don't know what I wanted to be when I graduated. And I found some things I loved early in my career, and being at sea was one of those things. Uh, Work with DFO uh, as a student, and then a few small contracts before I started working with the university. But I loved being at sea and and, uh, did that, did it into my early research uh, assistant world and continue to find opportunities to be at sea in in my teaching role and different project roles here at the institution. And you always, as an educator, you always want to be able to continue to give that. So I can do that two ways now. One way is I began to build programs in my career that help people find paths in things that perhaps I loved in in ocean exploration and ocean mapping and that kind of work, because that's really what my world became. became. And, I, and I could build programs that provided students opportunities uh, to find careers in that. And, and you learn through experience. And experiential learning is something that this institution is very, very sound in. The, the kind of experiences we provide students, some of them are one of, some of them are uh, year over year. Um, 
And I seek out those opportunities as an individual who needs that second part. How, as an educator, do I start to fulfill my own need of, of an educator? Mm-hmm. Uh, and doing those things help me do those. those uh, and, and the teaching side, the other thing that I, I volunteer in is, is mentoring some of our robotic students from Memorial in, in the, uh, what's called the MATE ROV competition where we bring multidisciplinary uh, students from across Memorial to build and compete, build an ROV and compete in an international competition. Mm-hmm. So I get to work with them on a, on a weekly basis. Um, so it gives back to me some of the things that I need mm-hmm. that the administrative role doesn't always give you. Mm-hmm. One thing that I, I think it was is important for anybody in any role as they choose careers or careers choose them is be true to what motivates you. So mm-hmm. what makes you happy at the end of the week? What makes uh, uh, you tick, if you want to use that word? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's it's important to love what you do and do what you love because it is it is a 30 and 40 year mm-hmm. thing. Um, but yeah, finding out what really motivates mm-hmm. you. We don't know much about our ocean. Mm-hmm. And how do we raise awareness to mm-hmm. not only understand the physical pieces from mapping uh, uh, the symmetry, uh, but also understanding uh, the biological side, mm-hmm. what species are out there, which ones are uh, changing, moving. You're, you talk about your work in the North and uh, a very rewarding part of my career was in the North talking about coastal resources with with elders in, in indigenous communities. Mm-hmm. Um, it's changing. It's changing quickly. Mm-hmm. In our lifetime, it's changing. So we think about what impacts that have on our communities. So really, the next 60 years of the Marine Institute... It's not only just about the programs and and the new projects that are coming up, but generally when we strip it all back, it's all about better understanding our oceans um, and all different kinds of spaces, whether that's industry and fishing or whether that's from a science perspective or from uh, also like a geomatics and mapping perspective. So I think it's very exciting what's coming soon. Absolutely. And it it is really about understanding spaces. and I think the Marine Institute's next 60 years and its expertise in, in, in the aspects of our oceans, be it the technical, the biological, uh, the marine transportation pieces are areas that we've been, we've been uh, active in. We need to understand more about our ocean and how we work in and around it. The Marine Institute in 2024, at its uh, uh, 60th birthday, mm-hmm. is... Um, is celebrating a history that is second to none in this province. Um, we hold a special place within the province of Newfoundland Labrador, within Memorial University, and within its people. The next 60 years, we will continue to uphold the tradition of what we are, true to the ocean, mm-hmm. true to the province, and true to our country and our globe. These are things I think that we are responsibilities that we have to shoulder as this institution moves into the next 60 years. Thank you so much for for chatting with me today. Thanks so much. 
Thank you again to Margot, Rachel, and Paul for joining us on this week's episode. If you have suggestions for future episodes, you can send an email to wavecast at mi.mun.ca. Stay tuned for next time when we chat with three MI graduate students to talk about the ins and outs of grad school applications. We'll see you then.